Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Here is our doctrinal statement on what we believe about the Bible. We believe in the infallible verbal inspiration of the whole Bible and that the Bible is the all-sufficient rule of faith and practice. In other words, we believe that the Bible is the divinely inspired and inerrant Word of God. Amen. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I just wonder how many of us today who are in this room really believe that. And we would say all of us do. And I've always had just this simple question. Well, if the Bible is the Word of God, and it is, why don't we do what it says? This is so simple. If this is God's instruction to us, why don't we listen to it and why don't we follow it? You see, the Word of God is under attack today and, in fact, has been since the beginning of creation, as we just read right here in the book of Genesis. Satan hates the Bible. Satan hates to hear the Bible preached in truth and in power. But he loves it. He loves it when people, when men and women will take it and will twist it and will pervert it and will lead, by perverting it and twisting it, will lead unsuspecting souls into an eternity in hell. Amen. And folks, that's going on in religion in America today. Right now, either because they don't know any better or because they don't care, some are taking the same Bible and preaching works for salvation, preaching you can lose your salvation, preaching things contrary to the Word of God. But see, here's what we know. And here's the wonderful thing about the Bible. The Bible is quick and powerful and sharper, the Scripture says, than any two-edged sword. And it goes on to say, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, the Bible will show us why we do what we do. Amen. The Bible will show us why we fail God. The Bible will show us what we need to do. That word quick means living. The Word of God is alive. I hear people say, well, it's an ancient book, it's an old book, and, and all of these. No, the Bible is just as alive today as it was when John penned those last verses of the book of Revelation. It's just as alive today when God gave the first book of the Bible. And the scripture says it's powerful. It's operational. It's, it, it has ability. And then it will separate in our hearts and in our lives. Well, and people say this, I know what the Bible says, but I, right? I, don't, I hope you've never said that. But there are people who say, that, well, I know what God's will is. I know what the Bible says, but here's what I think. There's one thing that's not in the Bible. Your opinion and my opinion, okay? <laughs> All right? It's the Word of God. 
It is the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God, and it penetrates to the innermost recesses of our spiritual being, just like a sword would cut through flesh. That's how sharp the Bible is. Often people will wonder, preacher will get up and preach a message, and people will wonder, well, how can the preacher's message be so relevant to my life today? How can the preacher's message be so relevant to what I was thinking? And sometimes they think the pastor or the preacher has some secret information. He's got spies all around. He's got uh, cameras and listening devices and hears what people are talking about and sees what people are doing and he gets up and preaches about that. But you know, it's not the preacher at all. Amen. You know what it is? It's the leading of God's Holy Spirit and the sharpness of the Word of God that causes the preacher to deliver the right message at just the right time to just the right people. Amen. I'm not going to share all of this, but I'm just going to share a portion of this. You know, I shouldn't be amazed at how God works. But even I get amazed at how God works sometimes. And I found out Friday, just Friday night how God can put you in the right place at the right time with the right people for the right reason. And that's all I'm going to share of that, but you just know that God can put you where he needs you. Now listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. He's talking about a sword, the sword with two edges that the scripture says the Bible is. A sword with two edges has no blunt side. There's nothing blunt about the Bible. There's nothing boring about the Bible, folks. It cuts both this way and that. The revelation of God given us in Holy Scriptures is edge all over. It is alive in every part and in every part keen to cut the conscience and wound the heart. Depend upon it. There is not a superfluous verse in the Bible nor a chapter which is useless. There's nothing useless in this word. It teaches us. It directs us. It encourages us. Virgin continues, while it has an edge like a sword, it also has a point like a rapier. It's not just a blunt end. It's a point like a rapier. Piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the difficulty with some men's hearts is to get at them. In fact, there's no spiritually penetrating the heart of any natural man except by this piercing instrument, the Word of God. How are you going to get to men's hearts? Oh, we can stand up and give wonderful stories. We can say this and we can say that, and we can be trained in oratory, and we can be eloquent speakers. But none of that without the Word of God, is going to touch the hearts of men. God's Word is a sword, as we said. Ephesians 6, 17 talks about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, but it's also a mirror. You look into the Word of God, you know what you see looking back at you? Many times we don't like what we see because it reveals ourselves to us. James said, For if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, He's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. It's possible to look into the word of God, not pay close attention to it. You know, there's a difference between reading and calling words. I used this illustration in seminary. Our first year we were supposed to read a book. Read every word in. That was going to be a big part of our grade. We had to Truthfully tell on an exam, I have read this book. Well, I got the book and I called every word in the book. You notice what I said. And I signed, I've read the book because I'd called every word in the book. I couldn't tell you today what that book's about for anything. Because I called the words, I didn't read it. You can call the words of the Bible and say, oh, I've read. See, we're reading through the Bible. 
And it's very easy when you're talking about reading through the Bible. And by the way, we're in the book of Acts right now. And you can call the words and say, I've read the scripture. But did we get the meaning? Did we get the message from the word of God as we read through it? He goes on to say in the book of James, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Now this Bible tells us that we have an enemy. We know his name. His name is Satan. And this word tells us about our enemy. He is a liar and a murderer. Satan is a liar and a murderer. John chapter 8 verse 44, year of your father the devil and the less of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Guess who we're following when we tell a lie? We're following the father of lies. We're following Satan. He's working on us through our flesh. He does his best to hide the gospel from poor deluded souls. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan does not want people hearing the gospel. He does not want people being saved. Amen. He roams about. 2 Peter 5, 8, we'll get this Wednesday night. He roams about seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And then he does his best to snatch the word of God away from people when the word of God is being delivered. Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 13 what we call the parable of the sower. You remember that? the parable of the sower. And he says, a man went forth to sow. And the sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured it up. Now Jesus taught by parables. We would call it illustrations today. And he uses an illustration of man sowing seed. And some of it just falls on the footpath by the wayside. And immediately the birds swoop down and eat that seed. And so his disciples said, explain this to us. We don't understand. Explain this to us. And he says, in verse 18 of Matthew 13, Hear therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. That is he which receives seed by the wayside. The word of God will be preached this morning. In fact, there are possibly some here today who will hear the words of my mouth and not get the message. That's what's happening. Satan is coming in and swooping the message away from our hearts. And Satan will always challenge God's word. He does not want God's people to have access to it. He does not want God's people to read it. He does not want God's people to understand it. We were talking just in Sunday school this morning. We had a fun class because about 10 to 8, Brother Truman called me and said, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and I didn't want to call Brother Sean and say, you got an hour and a half. To, he's the assistant teacher in that class, but I didn't want to say you got an hour and a half to come up with a Sunday school lesson. And I didn't want to wait till he walked in the door and give him 30 minutes. And so we just sort of winged it in Sunday school this morning. But we're talking about the responsibility of teaching the Word of God at home. See, so many parents think church is the place that their children are supposed to get a religious education. But God has ordained that this instruction from the Word of God begin in the home. And you know who's responsible? You ought to know because I talked about it last week. Who's most responsible for teaching the Word of God in the home? We dads are. We men are. 
And God's going to look to us if our homes are not what they should be. And so the responsibility falls on us. You know, there's a lot of men that want to say, well, I'm the head of my house, but I'll let my wife teach the kids or take them to church or whatever. No. The responsibility is ours. And so we were talking about that and how so many, so many of God's people today barely even open a Bible during the week. They open other things, other books. They read things. We're going to talk about some of that in a moment. But they don't want to open the Word of God because Satan doesn't want us to open it. He doesn't want us to read it. He doesn't want us to understand it because it will have an effect in our lives. And when confronted with the Word of God, he's always challenging it, isn't he? The Bible, again, tells us how the enemy works. It tells people how to be saved. It tells people how to escape hell. And so Satan is constantly trying to stop the Word of God. The Bible tells us of a time when the Word of God was lost in the house of God. You know that? Now, I think the Word of God's being lost in a lot of quote-unquote churches today. I mean, preachers are getting in the pulpit and preaching psychology and sociology and feel-good type of religion and not preaching the Bible. And we ought to preach the Word of God. We ought to preach the Bible. Second Kings chapter 22 verse 8 says, and remember they began to clean out the temple and oh, we're going to go back to the worship of God. The nation had been worshiping idols and so forth and we're going back to the right worship of God. And it says, Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. That's a good place for it to be, right? We need the Bible preached in the Lord's churches today. We need God's people hearing the word of God today. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. That made me think about Nehemiah there at the water gate. And what happened there at the water gate after the walls of Jerusalem had been rebuilt. And they had this great service and the people of God came together and for six to eight hours stood while Nehemiah and the scribes read out of the word of God. Now how many of God's people today would sit for an hour to listen to the word of God much less six to eight hours to listen to the Word of God. You see, we've, we've lost the influence and we've lost the effect of the Bible in our lives, the Word of God in our lives, and we need to get back to the Word of God. And from the moment the Lord established His churches, folks, Satan was putting men into those churches who were trying to twist the Word of God. Remember Jude said, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation. This is Jude verse 3. But it was needful for me, he goes on to say, that I should write to you and to urge you to earnestly contend or to agonize for the faith that was once and for all times delivered unto the saints. Jude says, I wanted to write about salvation, but God laid it on my heart to write about standing for the truth, standing for the Word of God. And he says in verse 4, because certain men are crept in unawares, who would turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And so, the Bible has been attacked from the very beginning. And Satan is fully aware of the Scripture. In fact, I think Satan knows the Bible better than most Baptists do. You know it? You say, preacher. No, I think he does. Because many times we just, we take it for granted. Listen, we like our preacher. He'll get up and he'll not preach anything that's untrue. And so we're just going to sit back and let him do all the study and reading. And we're going to say amen to it and that'll you know, go ahead and preach it, preacher, right? Listen, I'll say again, just because I say it, don't take it as so. Amen. You get into the Word of God and you make sure this preacher's preaching the truth, folks. Right. 
That's what we need today is congregations. Church members will say, I know the Bible and I'm going to know whether the preacher's preaching the truth or not. And if he doesn't preach the truth, call him on it. I don't plan to send Jonah to wherever I sent him the last time and got it wrong. <laughs> but, and uh, hopefully if I do, somebody will correct me in that. But know the word of God. And Satan knows that God's word is infallible, and so he causes people to question it, and he seeks to attack it. I'm going to give you three ways right quickly this morning that Satan attacks the word of God. And the first one is its authenticity. It's authenticity. Because look what he says, verse 1, chapter 3 of Genesis, Yea, hath God said. What is the source of this instruction, Eve? This instruction not to eat of this tree. Hath God, we could just stop right there, and that's the way Satan would attack. Is this really the is this really scripture? Is this really what God gave? Or, or is it just something that men have made up over the years? Now he goes on to say, Hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? But he questions the word of God, and he questions the will of God. See, when you want to question the authenticity of the Bible, you just have to question the source of the scripture. Where did it come from? We know, I hope we do, that the Bible was written over 1,500 year span, about 40 different authors from all works of life. Some were shepherds, some were kings, some had different occupations, and there's not one bit of contradiction in the Word of God. Amen. Now, man couldn't do that. It has to come from God. And there's many other ways to know that the Bible is the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God. But Satan will say, is this really the word of God? Did God really say this? Is this really what God wants? And he'll cause us to question what the Bible says. There's an incident in Jeremiah 42 I love to talk about. Jeremiah, of course, the prophet. And the Babylonians were coming. And some in the nation were thinking about going down into Egypt. So in Jeremiah 42, the first three verses, and I'm going to just read parts of these verses to sort of maintain a, a thought here. But beginning in verse 1, it says, Johanan, the son of Kareah, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least even unto the greatest, verse 2 says, said unto Jeremiah the prophet, pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant. And in verse 3 it says, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing we may do. You get what they're asking? Jeremiah, we want to know whether to go into Egypt or not. We want God's direction. We want to know what God wants for us, what God wants from us, okay? That's their request. Verse 4, Jeremiah says, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words. By the way, look at what they said. They said to Jeremiah, you pray to the Lord your God. And Jeremiah said, I'll pray to the Lord your God. He's not just my God, he's your God, okay? And so he says, I have heard you, behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you, I will keep nothing back from you. All right. You want me to find out God's will? I'll find out, I'll pray, I'll find out God's will, and I'll come share it with you. Sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Verse 5. The people answered, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not even according to all things for which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us, whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Okay, Jeremiah, you're going to go get God's will. You're going to come back and share it with us. We'll do it. Whatever God says, 
We will not question it. We will just perform God's will. That's what they said. Verse 7 tells us that Jeremiah spent 10 days in prayer. Praying to know the will of God. And he told the people. When he came back, he got God's will. He came back and says, God says, do not go into Egypt. You stay here. Let the Babylonians do what they're going to do. But you do not go into Egypt. So in chapter 43, verse 2, we get the response of the people. And they said, thou speakest falsely. What? Jeremiah, we want to know the will of God. Okay, I'll pray. I'll get the will of God. We'll do it if you'll tell us. And he comes back and says, here's the will of God. And I said, you're lying. That didn't come from God. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, go not into Egypt to sojourn there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. They had asked the prophet we want to know God's word. We want to know God's will. I'll give it to you. And he gives it to them. They say, no, that's not it. You know what churches do today? They call the pastors. They preach to us the, the Bible preacher. We want to hear the word of God. And he gets up and he preaches it. And they say, well, that's not really. Right? Doesn't that happen in churches? Y'all sitting there like it doesn't happen in churches. It does. Because I pastored some of those churches. Okay? And so Satan just causes us to question when the word of God is delivered. Because he knows that if he can convince people that the Bible's simply a book of myths and ancient stories and sayings, and he can get men to reject the word of God and die lost and spend an eternity in hell. And he can get God's people not to do God's will. Do you realize if the Bible is not the complete and total error-free word of God, its authority over men is destroyed. If this is not the word of God, its authority is destroyed. It leaves the door open for other so-called holy books. It causes great confusion about what to believe and what not to believe. If the Bible is not the word of God, what do you believe about salvation? Hmm? Whatever you want to believe? What do you believe about heaven and hell? Whatever you want to believe? It would mean if this is not the word of God, that we were deluded by others or by ourselves, which is even worse than being deluded by others, by the way. Self-deceit is the worst kind of deceit into believing something that's not so if the Bible's not the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God. And we can never know for sure if the Bible's not the word of God how to get to heaven or if there even is a heaven. You realize that? Because the Bible is the only book that testifies of heaven. And we would not even have the assurance of the creator of God. And there would be no clear standard of right and wrong. Do you realize that the Bible is not the word of God? My opinion is just as good as yours. Yours is just as good as mine. Amen. There has to be a standard. We live in a time in America, folks, when people say, well, there's no standard of right and wrong. Yes, there is. Amen. It's the Bible. And you better listen to the word of God. What happens is when you rule out the Bible, you reach a point like was going on in the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, that in that day there was no king in the land and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. If the Bible is not the word of God, hey, situation ethics is just as good, isn't it? If the Bible is not the word of God. You understand I'm prefacing all of this on the statement that if the Bible is not the word of God. I'm not saying situation ethics is right, but if the Bible is not the word of God, it is. 
And if the situation calls for it, a person could be unfaithful to their spouse. You could do harm to somebody if you felt the situation. And that's situation ethics. And that's what situation ethics calls for. But the Bible condemns those things. And it would be just chaos. And by the way, the scripture says God's not the author of confusion. But it would be chaos if we did not have a Bible of which God was the author. But thankfully, God has preserved his word down through the ages. And we have in our hands today the word of God. And it stands in the face of critics. And it stands against those who charge it and who would want to abuse it and misuse it. Its divine authorship and harmony show it to be the word of God. As I was preparing this message, I thought of a poem I heard many years ago. And I like this poem. It's called, The Anvil of God's Word. Last eve I passed beside a blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring, the vesper chime. When looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter these hammers so? Just one, said he. Then with a twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word for ages skeptics' blows have beat upon. Yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed the hammer's gone. The Word of God, folks, it's going to stand. And it does stand. And it will stand. And Satan is fully aware of the Scripture and he knows the Bible. He has no doubt that it's God's Word. And still he asks today, Yea, hath God said. And folks, God has said. Secondly, Satan questions the Bible's authority. He questions the Bible. You may have already figured this out. But the attack on the authenticity of the Bible is an attack on the authority of the Bible. If the Bible is just a collection of stories and myths, if it is not God's Word, again, why should we study it? Why should we hear it? If the Bible is not the Word of God, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting your time, right? That's okay. You can agree to that. I said if. Okay. Why should we study it? Why should we, why should we obey it? Because look at what Satan says in verse 4. Yea, hath God said in verse 1 and verse 4, he said, you're not going to die. Eve said, God said this, if we eat of that tree, but if we touch it, we're going to die. And Satan says, ah, no, you're not going to die. Don't worry about that. You'll not surely die. What he's saying is, the Bible's wrong. What he's saying is the Bible's lying to you. God's lying to you if he's trying to present that in his word. Look, he says, you don't have to obey God's rules. There's no authority in the Bible. Do what you want to do. Live like you want to live. Just enjoy your life. Because Satan always challenges the word of God. You know, I can almost hear the laughter of Satan as he says to Eve, no, 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 that's not it. God's lying to you. You can't trust God. What right does God have to tell you what you can and cannot do? You ever heard anybody say anything, question the Bible that way? What right does God have to tell me what to do? Well, simply because he is your creator. Amen. He made all of this. He gave us his word. He reveals himself in his word. He reveals his plan of salvation in his word. But Satan will lie to us about God's word just like he lied to Eve. And here's what he'll say to us today. It's a waste of time to read the Bible. By the way, if you read it, you can't understand it, right? 
Yeah, you can. See, if we will, if we will read it slowly, to say that all of that King James wording, I can't understand. Yeah, you can. You just have to read it slowly and, and listen to what's being said. You can't, you can't read it with the television on. Amen. You can't read it and understand it trying to do something else. You have to get alone and read the Word of God. Satan will tell you in this age of technology, an old book like that doesn't have any bearing on today's life. You don't see computers in there and things like that. But it has a bearing on our everyday living. You know what he's doing? He's catching away the seed. Just like the birds getting the seed on the, the path. It's unfortunate today that so many believe Satan's lies and that so many quote unquote believers don't want to pick up a Bible except maybe to carry it to church or to throw it. You know, back when they had those back shelves on cars, right? Remember those? Don't have many of those today. I took a picture several years ago right out here behind the fellowship hall because I had one of those, still have it, one of those old cars with the back shelf, and I put my Bible up on it and went around behind it and took a picture through the back windshield and posted it on Facebook with this caption. It's 11 a.m. Sunday morning. Do you know where your Bible is? That's all some people, only reason some people to pick up the Bible was going to church, better take my Bible. Be about the same. If I'm going to school today, I better take my spelling book. Don't read it at home. Don't work on it at home, but I'm going to take it so I look like I'm a student. Another poem I thought of, I'm going to show you. You're just full of poems today. Yes, I am. The Bible and the TV Guide. Remember TV Guide? We don't even use that anymore because everybody's streaming everything. And, you know, I'm sort of old and I remember TV Guide. You want to find out what's on, you know. You don't just go over to the channel guide on the TV and read what's there. You'd actually read it in the book. They lie on the table side by side, the Holy Bible and the TV Guide. One is well-worn and cherished with pride, not the Bible, the TV guide. One is used daily to help folks decide, no, not the Bible, the TV guide. As the pages are turned, what shall they see, or what does it matter? Turn on the TV. So they open the book in which they confide, no, not the Bible, the TV guide. The Word of God is seldom read, maybe a verse before they fall into bed, exhausted and sleepy and tired as can be, not from reading the Bible, but from watching TV. So then back to the table, side by side, lie the Holy Bible and the TV guide. No time for prayer, no time for the Word. The plan of salvation is seldom heard, but forgiveness of sin so full and free is found in the Bible, not on TV. A TV guide should never take the same place in our lives that the Bible does. Why does Satan question the authenticity and the authority of the Bible? Two reasons, at least. We've mentioned one of them. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, to blind the eyes of men. If people aren't listening to the Bible, reading the Bible, they won't know what it says, and so they'll just believe whatever they're told. And if they believe whatever they're told, many of them will die lost and spend an eternity in hell. He veils the minds and the hearts of people. Just pulling a veil over their eyes, causing them to ignore the word, causing them not to desire the word of God in their lives. And that's where we are in America today. You try quoting a verse of scripture, to say, you get called a Bible thumper and, you know, everything else. If you try to share the word of God with people today. 
And if Satan cannot keep us from the Word of God, you know what he'll do? He'll cloud the issue with other questions. Have you ever tried to witness to somebody? I hope and pray you have. But here's what happens. Just go to John chapter 4 and read verse 20 there when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman about her need of salvation. And she says, well, now, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Well, now, you Jews say Jerusalem's a place to worship. And we Samaritans worship in this mountain. You know what she's saying? Which is the right church? Which is the one I ought to go to? I tell you what, until a person has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, they're not going to know. Amen. You know, some people say, well, one church is just as good as another. Not if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Amen. You find that out. You say, that's awful narrow-minded. That's Bible. You say, prove it. Okay. I love to do this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to this. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What's that saying? The reason some people have trouble with the Bible is because they don't have the Holy Spirit residing in them to help them understand the Word of God. Amen. It's exactly what it's saying. This is a, listen, this is a spiritual collection of books. It's not one book, it's 66 books, all right? 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. It is a collection of 66 books. It is a spiritual collection of books. And the only way to understand it is through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He wrote it. Faith went of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit recorded. It's what Peter says in 2 Peter 1. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction, correction, and so forth that the man of God may be complete, perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so it's there for us. And then Satan wants to usurp God's authority. I mean, that's what he's been wanting to do all along, ever since he was cast out of heaven. He said, while he was Lucifer in heaven, he wanted to be equal with God. He said in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He said, I want to be equal with God. What did he tell Eve there in the Garden of Eden? He said, you can be a God. And there's still religions that preach that today, by the way. He says, you can be a God. Just ignore what God said and you'll be equal with God. That's been his desire from the beginning. And he leads men through their flesh to follow him. James 1.14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You and I were born with lust in our flesh. Read Galatians chapter 5. We're born with lust in our flesh. It's there naturally and Satan will work on that lust to lead us away from God. So he causes men to question everything God says. Some of the sins acquainted with that will be rebellion and pride and unteachable spirit, unbelief, and denial of biblical authority ultimately leads to unbelief and skepticism and atheism denying God altogether. And then finally, Satan questions and attacks the Bible's ability or the Bible's power. If it's not God's word, authenticity, then it has no real authority, right? And if it has no authenticity and in no authority, what ability does it have? 
it would be zero. Verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan saying, God's not trying to help you with that command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, what he's saying is God's sort of a cosmic killjoy, Eve. God doesn't want you to be all you can be. You could be so much more if you just quit listening to God and follow me and listen to what I have to say to you. Satan offers similar lies today. The Bible's a book of old-fashioned ideas. They don't have any place in modern society. Don't listen to the Bible. It's a waste of time. I mentioned that to read the Bible. You can't understand it. I mentioned that. It has no real bearing on today's life. I mentioned that. But those are all lies of Satan to get people to put the Word of God aside and to listen to what the latest commentator or whoever is saying on the television or what the latest magazine article has to say or the latest newspaper article has to say. Satan doesn't just deny the Bible, though he offers an alternate plan. What did he say to Eve? What's his alternate plan to Eve? Go ahead. Eat. Enjoy it. Forget what God said. Do what you want. By the way, he said, you know, you only go around once in life, right? Grab for all the gusto you can and all the enjoyment you can. To a teenager, he'll say, Look, go ahead. Get involved with drugs. Don't worry about that. Commit fornication. Have premarital sex. Everybody's doing it, right? I mean, that's what the song is today, the, the theme of young people. Everybody's doing it, doing it, doing it. And so he tells them, everybody's doing it. Follow the crowd. God's trying to keep you from enjoying life. Don't listen to the Word of God. All those thou shalt nots in the Bible, don't pay any attention to that. To the husband and wife, go ahead. Be dishonest, lie, cheat, steal. Be unfaithful. Because you've got to enjoy life, right? You're only here for a short time. To father, Satan says, don't worry about leading your family in faithfulness to God. Real men, and I told the Sunday school class, we, we've just been so overwhelmed by the macho attitude that Hollywood has presented years past. Men don't think that real men would be worried about being a Christian example to their families, but real men will be. Amen. Whether I should say this or not, I'm going to. Folks, I consider myself a real man. I've always wanted to be a Christian example to my family. To the uncommitted believer, he says, don't worry about going to church today. After all, you've worked hard this week. You deserve some time to yourself. And You know, Sunday, Saturday and Sunday are the only days you get, so you've you got to just sleep in. And by the way, he says, the church can get along fine without you. And by the way, don't worry about those people you've invited to church. They probably won't show up anyway. Do you realize we who are saved can also deny the authenticity and the authority and the ability of the Bible with our lives? When we don't study it, we don't believe it, we don't apply it, we don't live it. When we forsake the assembling of ourselves together to hear a message from it. Satan's way may seem right, but it ends in hell. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. I don't think I need to remind the people who are here today, God's children, listening to Satan lies and following his word will lead us far away from God and our fellowship with him. It's God's word. It is the Bible that is the source of strength and truth. 
for every person and especially for the child of God. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. If a person desires to be right with God, there's only one way to find out how to accomplish it. And that's to get into the word of God. Ignore Satan's attacks. Somebody said this, and I liked it. Doubt is the devil's toxin. It's poison. And disbelief in God's revealed word is the real opiate of the masses. You remember what, was it Marx? Karl Marx that said that religion is the opiate of the masses? No, believing Satan's lies, like Karl Marx told, is Satan's lie and Satan's toxin and the opiate of the masses. Either the Bible is the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God or it is not. It can't be half and half. Because if it's half and half, folks, I don't know which half is right and which half isn't. Amen. It's got to be all or nothing. If the Bible is God's word, and it is, we just ought to do what it says. Can't pick out the parts you like. And ignore the rest of it. I had a preacher friend that preached a message called Whiteout. At that time, most people knew what Whiteout was. You know, if you make a mistake and you're typing, you just take it and white it out. He said, that's how some people read the Bible. Not, maybe not literally, but with a bottle of Whiteout in their hand. Oh, I don't like that. I can ignore it. No, either it is or it isn't. So let us be counted among those who are faithful and who by faith obey Believe, live, practice, and on a daily basis share the Word of God. Because you know what? There's great reward in doing so. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You serve God, he'll reward you. In ways you can't even imagine. That's my encouragement for you today. I don't know hearts. I don't know even among our church members who's saved and who's not. See, only you and God know that, right? You know your heart. God knows your heart. I don't know your heart. I know what I see. But if you don't know Christ the Savior, the Bible says there's only one way to be saved. And that is repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, you'll find out that that's basically what Noah preached. That's what the prophets preached. That's what John the Baptist preached. That's what Jesus preached. That's what Paul preached. That's what Peter preached. <laughs> repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. And then as a child of God to faithfully serve Him.